Hey, have you ever given somebody a bad gift? Just be honest, show of hands. Anybody ever given a gift? It was just a bad gift. You never want to hear the, the, the question, did you keep the receipt after you give a gift, right? But I've, I've done that my share of times. And most recently this Christmas, I bought Lisa a gift and I was excited because I knew that our coffee maker was the same one that we used when we were married. And so I bought her a new one. And uh, it was the wrong color. It was the wrong brand. She had actually been very specific about what she wanted. I just wasn't paying attention. And, uh, and I gave it to her. And she was very gracious and thankful uh, that I kept the receipt. And she went and got what she wanted uh, with that. And sometimes it's just a swing and a miss, right? And there have been other times that I've given her gifts that, that were really meaningful, that I picked up on cues and, and, and did a good job with that. And, but gift giving can be tricky. Uh, we we want to acknowledge and show love to the people in our lives, and we want to acknowledge and show love to God, but sometimes we don't know how to do it. That's why I'm thankful for this gentleman. I've got a picture on the screen of a guy that I met. His name's Gary Chapman, uh, and we're going to show that picture here in just a moment. See, Gary, uh, was a, he still is a, a licensed therapist, and he would spend time with couples And over 40 years of helping couples, he realized that couples would try to do the right thing for each other. They would try to express love and they'd sit in his office and go, man, I I did this and I said this and I did this, but she just doesn't appreciate it or we're just missing each other. And so he wrote a book in 1992 called The Five Love Languages. Did anybody ever read this book? Yeah, a lot of hands, a lot of marriages, including my own, have been helped by this. I think we probably have copies of this in our bookstore and on, online, but I'm not, I'm not here to talk about the book, but what was helpful is he realized that people come from different places in life. They have different stories, different environments and cultures that they grew up in and their families, and they, they express love to each other in different ways. And so there are five love languages. You've got words of affirmation and quality time and physical touch and acts of service and then gift giving. And, and some people give and express love in different ways. Like I learned when I read this book that my love language is words of affirmation. So if you love me, tell me you love me. If I did something right, pat me on the back. Tell me that's, that's how I love to, to receive love and that's how I would give love as well. But I learned that my wife is very different than me. Her love language is quality time and physical touch and acts of service and gifts And so we would be missing each other, you know, when it comes to how we express love. I love you, Lisa. I'm learning, figuring it out. But but it just helped us to to understand each other. And, you know, when you are married to somebody, you're on a journey of getting to know them and uncovering different things and learning how to love them better. And, 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 And many of us are on a journey with God and we want to worship him and give our lives to him and love him. And the question that I have for us today is, what is God's love language? Like, does God actually have a preference when it comes to how his people interact and express love to him, how we give to him, how we worship him? And we're in a series right now that uh, we took a couple weeks off for Mother's Day, and last week we had an incredible Next Generation weekend, but we're talking about two big questions. And if you're new to Seacoast, this series is talking about really giving a theology and, and an understanding of why we do what we do at the end of our services, what we call response time. And we've talked about the cross and how we go to, to repent and remember what Jesus did, and we've talked about the, the candles and the importance of fire in scripture. And we've talked about communion. And next week, we'll talk about 
prayer. Uh, but this week, I want to talk about the response of, of giving. You know, you'll hear us say at the end of a, a message, we'll be leading through response time, and we'll say some of us are going to give of our tithes and offerings out of gratitude for what God has done. But, but why do we do that? And is there a preferred way of doing that? And I want to show you some, that, that I believe that God actually does have a preferred love language, and it comes out of a story in the Bible out of a, a couple of brothers. Their names are Cain and Abel, and you may remember them, and a lot has been said about them over the years, but, but Abel was the first real martyr of the Christian faith. He was killed by his brother Cain, but what you might not know is that what Abel is remembered for isn't that he was killed by his brother, but he was remembered for understanding God's love language for understanding giving. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's the hall of faith. This is like the hall of fame for, for, for men and women who went down in history for having great faith. And the very first person listed in that hall of faith is Abel. Abel is the fourth person, the fourth human being to live on planet earth. And look what was rem remembered about him in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse four. It says, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he speaks to us by his example of faith. I love that, that what Abel is remembered for was his gift. It says he gave a gift that was acceptable to God, and long after he was murdered by his brother Cain, his voice still speaks today. His legacy still speaks today because of the way that he handled his resources. And, and so we're going to look at that story together. We're going to talk today about giving. Abel's going to show us how to shop for God. And some of you are like, I'm so glad I brought my friend on the day they're talking about giving. I used to struggle to talk about giving, but the more I've learned to give, the less I struggle with talking about giving because I have a newsflash for you. God doesn't need anything from you today. He's not hurting for resources. When he has uh, instructions for us on, on giving, it's not so much about him as it is about his desire to see us, our hearts, be right before him. And so we're gonna learn about God's love language. And what do we learn about giving from the story of Cain and Abel. It happens in Genesis chapter four. If you're following on a Bible or maybe in the app, you can follow along with us. But Genesis chapter four, in the story of Abel's life, you're gonna see that, that he gave God something that deeply moved him. So let's, let's look at it. Verse one, Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, when I read that at surface level, it's easy for me to just simplify it and say, God is not into vegetables. He's a meat eater. He's a carnivore. Let's respond and go to lunch together. But, but I think there's actually more to the story. A lot has been said over the years about Cain, and we know that he was angry 
He didn't handle God's correction well, and ultimately it led him to a place of hard-heartedness, and he would end up murdering his brother. But I want to focus less on what Cain did wrong and more on what Abel did right in this passage. It's really fascinating because it's the very first, like Genesis is a book of firsts. It's the first. We read through a story about somebody getting pregnant and having a baby, and we're pretty familiar with that concept. Some of us have experienced it in our own lives. Some of us have seen friends go through it. But think about it. This is the first time that's happened for Adam and Eve. And so it says Adam, you know, he he knew Eve in the biblical sense of the word. Uh, That was before the modern translations that said Adam knew Eve because they were kind of being politically correct about it. But they, they made love. And then all of a sudden, Adam notices over the next couple of months that Eve starts acting weird. She's craving like pickles and ice cream and weird things like what, what, what is up with her, right? And, and, and she's pregnant and, and they're experiencing this for the very first time and her body changes. And then I love what it says when she finally has the baby, props to Eve, no epidural involved. She says, with God's help, I have brought forth a man. <laughs> That's their, their way of doing the gender reveal. Like it's a boy. I, I brought a man. Look, it's a man. It kind of looks like Adam, but it's little. It's the first time they had a baby. And then you have another son born, and we have the very first time that we have sibling rivalries happen. It was the very first time that an older sibling, who was the baby, got dethroned by a younger one who became the new baby. And some of you have stories about that. But then we have the very first worship service. As they grow up, you have the first worship service. They come and they bring offerings to God. And it may not feel like a a church service to you because in our American culture, we tend to think of the church service as something that is about us. Like we're hoping that they're going to sing the right song with the right worship leader. By the way, we will be singing gratitude at the end of our service. So I'm glad we could help you with that. But, But we show up and we hope that it's our favorite preacher. Sorry. Josh Walters will be up next week, though, talking about a prayer, and that'll be great. But, but we've kind of been conditioned in our American culture to think that church is all about us and our preferences and our needs. But the reality is, and, and we do our best, to, and we want to serve you, and we, wanna, we, we want you to connect with God, but, but this is not about you and me. This is about God. Everything that we do is about God. We want to honor him. We want to please him. That's what worship is about. And so Cain and Abel, they come and they bring their gifts and and God is really connected to what Abel does, and he, he's really repulsed by what Cain does. What is going on here? What can we learn about God's love language through Abel? Three things that I notice about gifts that please God. Number one is the most important factor is the heart of the giver. It's the heart of the giver. How do I know that the heart matters so much in this story? Because look what happened with Cain. You can't really see it at the beginning, but if you look deeper into it, you see that Cain kind of came pretty nonchalantly. Whenever the time felt right, he came and he, he gave. But when God corrected him, his heart was exposed. It was hardened. He was really more about himself and the conditions that he had on the gifts than he was. God, and Abel, though, it says he brought of the first fruits of what he had. Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a a farmer. It wasn't so much about the the gift as it was the heart of the giver. Cain handled handled his correction really, really poorly. And some of you have led in business or 
Maybe you've had a relationship you've had to bring correction to. And, and when you bring correction to somebody, you learn a lot about what's going on in their heart. Some are gonna be receptive and open and wanna grow and learn and humble. And some are gonna push you away. And that's what we see in this story. Giving has always been about the heart. In fact, Isaiah 29, when we started doing response time, this was actually a passage of scripture that, that was what led us to do what we do. And our founding pastor, Greg Surratt went on sabbatical and we did a video about this earlier in the series, but it was this verse, Isaiah 29, verse 13. It says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. And we found ourselves in a place in the early 2000s. And again, the church was growing and things were good were happening. This wasn't a blanket statement for everybody, but it felt like something was lacking in our worship together, which is why we decided to create space at the end where we could really do business with God and respond to him and allow him to do surgery on our heart week in and week out. And that's why we do church the way that we do. But the reality is our giving has always been about our heart. God is not concerned with how he's gonna pay the light bill in heaven. You know, he's not concerned with the resource problem. The reason that God cares about our giving is because he's really after our heart. I love what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21. He said, for where, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God knows that there will always be a direct line, connection between our heart and, and our wallet. And you know this, you've experienced it, I know it. But I experienced it in a fresh way this week. Uh, our small group got together last Saturday. Several people in our group had birthdays. And so we decided to celebrate birthdays together. We were at a friend's house and in their backyard, he had a TV up. And on the TV was kind of the pregame for the Preakness, which is a horse race that was happening. And here's what you need to know about our small group. None of us know anything about horse racing. Um, it wasn't really high on our radar. And one of the guys in the group said, hey, so who are you pulling for in the horse race? And we're like, uh, I don't know. I have no idea. And one of the guys said, hey, why don't we do something? What, everybody put $5 on the line, pick a horse, and we'll watch the race together. And I'm sorry to report back that lack of judgment, but your pastor got involved in a gambling operation at small group. <laughs> I know your small groups do a lot worse, and so I don't feel too bad about it. But we all decided, hey, we'll, we'll throw $5 on the line. And, uh, and we, we didn't have cash, so we had to Venmo, right? And so we're like, all right, we have 10 minutes to figure this out. Uh, do your research, put your $5 on, pick a horse, and the winner gets to take the, the, the money. And so we all do it, and we, we, we figure out a horse, and we pick them. And, and 10 minutes later, again, uh, uh, 10 minutes ago, nobody knew the name of any of these horses, and nobody cared. But when that gun went off and those horses went going, you'd have thought that we bred them and trained them ourselves. We're around the TV screaming, come on, go, coffee with Chris, coffee. That's my dog, that's my horse. You know, we're cheering, we're screaming, we're, we're going crazy for about two minutes. And I'm sad to say that my horse did not win. But I'm happy to say that the guy whose horse did win, he was like, hey, by the way, keep your money. I didn't even want your money. I just wanted us to care for a minute about the race. And so we watched and our hearts were in it because of $5 had us cheering like crazy because our hearts always follow our money. And you know that if you've ever invested in stocks, you remember I grew up with a newspaper and there was like a whole stock section. I'm like, why did they even do this? Who cares? 
till I started investing in stocks. And then I'm scouring that bad boy. I'm understanding you know, the leadership of these companies that I've invested in because your heart follows your giving. If you've invested in, in cryptocurrency or Bitcoin, I'm sorry, but your heart has followed that. And it's been a hard road, right, for the last little bit. But, but we get excited and passionate about the things that we invest in. That's why God cares about our money, because he cares about our heart. He doesn't need your stocks. The streets of gold are holding up pretty strong against the, the American dollar right now in terms of currency. But he desperately loves you. And he cares about your heart. And he wants our hearts to be healthy. So how's your heart today? You know, as, as your pastor, two aspects of, of your heart that I pray that every seacoaster will always seek to cultivate two things. Number one, I want you to cultivate a generous heart. Just cultivate a generous heart. Let's not be stingy. Nobody wants to be stingy. I mean, nobody introduces themselves and says, hey, I'm so-and-so and, -so and I'm, I'm a little stingy. Like, if you ride with me, I'm going to ask you for gas money. You know, I know I was going there anyways, but I need that. You know, no, don't. Like, let's not be stingy. Let's cultivate a generous heart. The problem is that generosity is like a muscle. And if you don't work it, then it's hard to cultivate it. And so it's something that we have to cultivate. We have to be mindful of it. We have to go to the gym when it comes to our heart and, and work at generosity. I, I love Lisa, because she really pushes me in the area of generosity. I remember we were going on a date a couple of years ago. I was meeting her at a restaurant, and she no-showed me uh, on a date. That's bad news on your first date. It's really bad news when you've been married 20 years. I'm like, where is she? What is going on? And she finally shows up an hour later. Thankfully, there was a Seacoast family at the restaurant, and I ended up just moving from my empty table to theirs. It's a little awkward and embarrassing, but I was a little irritated at her and, and, until I found out that she was walking to the restaurant and there was a woman who was holding a sign and who was struggling. She felt like God told her to not just give her some money, but to take her to, a, to get some food and to hear her story. It's like, man, that was so attractive to me, her generosity. But we have to cultivate it. We have to cultivate generosity with God. We have to cultivate generosity with each other. Be, be a generous friend. Here's one other thing I would tell you with generosity. Don't be generous with God and other people, but stingy with your own kids. We often produce embitterment in our kids because, yeah, we're generous towards God and we're generous towards other. But a pastor told me a few years ago, he said, hey, lead the way in generosity with your own kids. Don't let them grow up with a dad who gave everywhere else, but never at home. So we got to cultivate a heart of generosity. And then secondly, let's cultivate a grateful heart. Just be grateful. God was talking to the nation of Israel about their giving and about how they treat the poor. And, and what he said to them in Deuteronomy 15 is he said, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord, your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. He says, this is why I'm talking to you about your generosity, because I want you to remember that you guys were slaves. I want you to remember that you were stuck against the Red Sea and had no way through, but I showed up for you. I want you to be grateful. What has God done for you? Have you taken some time to just be grateful to him? To be thankful for, for, for what he's done? You know, when we sing gratitude in just a few minutes, I want you to think about it. Maybe make a list. What are you thankful for? I'm thankful for my family. 
I'm thankful for my salvation, for what Jesus did for me. I'm just grateful. So when it comes to our giving, the primary focus for God is the heart of the giver. But there's more if we look at the story of, of Abel's gift. The second thing that's important to him is the priority of the gift. It's not just the heart of the giver, but the priority of the gift. Again, verse four, Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of his, say it with me, firstborn. Firstborn. They didn't really say it here in Mount Pleasant. So in Somerville, say it with me. Firstborn. Yeah. That gives you a picture that this was a priority gift for him. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. It wasn't just a good heart, but it was the priority of his giving. Solomon would say it this way later in the book of Proverbs. He said, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. It's the principle of the tithe and the principle of firsts. See, God doesn't just want us to, to live our lives and pay our bills and see what happens and give him what's left at the end. Because if we do that, we will only always ever give him the leftovers. It reminds me of a story that a preacher told of a farmer that had a pretty small operation and him and his wife had a, a cow and the cow got pregnant. So the farmer came home and was like, I've got great news, honey, our cow is pregnant. And so they celebrate that and, and over the next couple of months, eventually it come time to give birth and, and lo and behold, he's out there in the stable and the cow has not just one baby, but two. And so he comes in and he's so excited. Hey, we have twins. And, and so his wife says, that's phenomenal. You know what we should do? We should give one of those twins to God. We should give one of the cows to God. And so he says, that's a great idea, babe. I'm going to give one of these cows because God blessed us with that. And so when, when it grows up, we'll butcher it and everything we get, we'll give to God. Well, time would pass and eventually one of the cows would get sick and he hadn't predetermined which one was God's and which one was his. And he nursed that cow as best as he could, but to his disappointment, the cow died. And he walks back into the kitchen and his wife says, honey, what's wrong? And he goes, babe, I hate to say it, but God's cow died. <laughs> it's kind of silly, right? But if we don't pre-decide what's his, we'll just give him what's left. And, and God has said, hey, I want you to trust me with first. If, if, if you want me to be first in your life, that's going to be reflected in how you handle your stuff. And so I remember Lisa and I, when we really got this principle, we would take out our checkbook every month. If you're under about 35, you may want to ask somebody else on your row what this is. It's a checkbook. Mine has a godly emblem on the front of it. But, um, <laughs> but we would sit down uh, at our dinner table at, at, after every paycheck. And we would write out checks for, for our bills. But, but we learned that the very first check that we wrote was going to be our tithe check to God. And when we would do it, we would take a moment to just thank him. Because when you put God first, it's a reminder that everything that you have is his. And we would just thank him. God, thank you for caring for us, for providing for us. We want to give you first the offering. And then we would write the other bills. And, and what I learned by doing that is that, that when I put God first, what happens when I don't is that, man, the month happens. And our kids grew up and they started to, to play expensive sports and the bills got to be more. And if we wait till the end, we'll just give God what is left. 
But, but doing this helped us cultivate a grateful heart and a generous heart. We don't do it anymore, by the way. In fact, I think the last check I wrote in here was last year. But what we've done now is to put God first is we decided we're going to automate what is important. And so we've pre-decided that out of our paycheck, the first 10% just goes. We don't ever see it. The downside of that is that, that we don't have that moment to pray over it anymore. But the upside of that is that we, we don't have to guess or question every month. We've just pre-decided, God, you get what is first. And so what we do is during response time. When some people may give in an offering box and some people may give, we don't give in that moment because we already have, but we do take a moment to just thank God that he's first in our life and that he's blessed us. I love Malachi 3.10 when it comes to the tithe. That's kind of the most clear verse. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there's not gonna be room enough to spare it. You know, that's the only time in the Bible that God says, go ahead and try me. Put me to the test in this area and see if I don't open up the floodgates. And he says in the next couple of verses that there are some things that really you don't have control of that I do as God, like whether or not the animals come and eat your crops and whether or not the insects come and devour it. I'm gonna take care, I, I will bless you. And this isn't prosperity gospel, by the way. If you ever hear a pastor get up and say, if you give this much, claim that you're gonna receive this much, that's not the heart of God. You don't give to get, you give to be more like God. God so loved the world that he gave. He's a generous God and he wants us to be generous as well. So the heart of the giver, the priority of the gift, and then the last thought is, it's the faith that's required to give it. You know, when a Hebrews talks about Abel, it talks about his giving, but it also talks about the connection between his giving and his faith. Why does God want what's first in our life? Because if you wait till the end after you paid the mortgage and the bills and we see how it all shakes out, that doesn't require faith. That doesn't require trust in God. See, faith is the currency of our relationship with him. It's recognizing that God, I need you. God, I'm desperate for you. And I'm putting my faith in you. That's what blesses the heart of God. Malachi 1, 8 and 9. God said, when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? What he's saying is, worship that costs little accomplishes little. And over and over and over in scripture, we read about people who went all in with their faith. Said, I'm gonna give, but I'm not gonna give out of something that didn't cost me. And so often I feel like we, as we relate with God, we're like me and Lisa in the early days of our marriage, we're doing things. Sometimes we're, we're just going through the motions and God, well, I did this and I gave this and I, made this sacrifice, and he's like, I'm after your heart, and I'm after your faith. I love David. He wanted to build God a temple, and he found land that he thought would be suitable for that, and so he, he goes, and he says, man, I'm gonna look up the MLS on that land, and I'm gonna make an offer, and we're gonna buy this, and we're gonna build God something great, and he goes to this landowner, and the landowner 
out of a very generous heart, says, you know what? If you're building something for God, I'm gonna give it to you. But look at David's response. It kind of surprises me. He says, I'm not gonna take what is yours for the Lord, nor will I offer burnt offerings with that which costs me nothing. He says, no, I want, I want, I want it to, I wanna give in a way that, that I feel it. I wanna give in a way that it costs me. And I wanna see God meet me in that faith. So I wanna challenge you guys today. You know, what does that look like for you? How is your heart? Are you like I used to be and anytime the idea or the topic of giving or generosity or money came up at church, I would be like, oh gosh. What does that tell us about our heart? You know, maybe you've been disillusioned by some churches or ministries that have done this in the wrong way and manipulated people and done the prosperity thing. And I understand that. Maybe today's a day that God just wants to free you from that mindset. We aren't in a capital campaign right now. I'm not asking you for anything. I just want you to ask God, how is my heart? Some of us need to cultivate some generosity, cultivate some gratitude. Just take a few moments and be thankful. For some of us, Maybe you've been a giver, but God's saying, hey, I want you to make me a priority. What would it look like for you to make God a priority in your giving? I think about a very good friend of mine. He didn't even go to our church at the time. We did a 90-day tithe challenge. It's the only time we do that is when we talk about giving because, again, that's the only thing that God said test us. So we're like, hey, if you want to take a step of faith in this and you want to do it for 90 days and at the end of 90 days, if if, if you don't see just blessing of God in your life, not necessarily around your, your money, uh, but just in every area, then we'll give you your money back. And we've done that several times and do it again today. If you want to try it, uh, go for it. We've very rarely had somebody come back and ask for their money back. But one of the guys that took the challenge didn't even go to our church. And that year he had a full-time job and then he had a side hustle, which just means a part-time job. And by the end of that year, just in his circumstances, his part-time job had more than double outpaced his full-time job and it ended up becoming his own business that he started. But if you talk to my friend about giving, he'll tell you he also points to that time when he started giving as a priority, there were some strongholds in his life, some addictions that he had prayed for years that they would go away. And all of a sudden, God just started breaking some things free, not only in his finances, but in his heart, because that's what it's about. And some of us, I just want to stoke some faith for you. Just believe God. You can trust him. God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Don't, 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 don't be small-minded about who he is and what he could do. He's not worried about your, your checking account. He's worried about your heart. So would you guys pray with me as we close? God, I thank you that you are a generous God. I thank you, God, that, Lord, when we step into this place of generosity, that we're becoming more like our heavenly father. And so I just pray, God, that you would open up our eyes to opportunities to be generous towards you, towards our families, towards our community, towards the poor, in every aspect. Help us to never resist a generous impulse that you might give us? Or would you do heart surgery on us? Search us and know us. 
And God, would you just help us to have a right view of you and our attitude about giving? Lord, we're grateful that you gave, not just leftovers, but that you gave your best. You gave your son so that we could have freedom. And I thank you, God, that when we give and we're generous, that much like it was said about Abel, that long after we take our last breath here, Lord, our legacy would reverberate for all of eternity because we're partnering with you and seeing your kingdom come and your will be done. So would you move in our church? Would you move in our life? In Jesus' name, amen, amen.